time to talk to you a little bit about uh, what some refer to as exchange life or more or less removing yourself or sin and replacing that with Christ. If I had the ability to show you behind me a, uh, a resume of myself, I'd be afraid to show it to you. Not because I'm wanting to sit here and, and, and boast or talk about all the good things I've done in my life, but I want to show you a white piece of paper behind me as my resume. And the reason I say that is this is my life is nothing without Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, when God looks at me, it says that he no longer sees. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives in me. And what I would like to talk to you about is, is a day that I, I've always wanted a day that, that I could look back on and say, man, that really changed my life. I went to uh, Pigeon Forge one day with uh, Dan Riley. And I met with him there with a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. Solomon. Uh, when, I, when I went up there, I was, uh, the, the, what, had, what had caused this is I met Dan at a uh, pizza with the pastors. We got to talking, and I never really got to talk to Dan before, and we got to talking about several different things. And uh, he just, I guess it had come upon him that he wanted me to go to Pigeon Forge with him on, on the, that, during the week, and uh, we would meet up in Pigeon Forge. So I went up to this, uh, to this house. When I got there, I was just, I knew it was right, but I just, everybody has that regret where you're like, why am I here? What am I doing? You know, who is this guy? What is this guy? So I meet this, uh, this older gentleman. He pulls up and uh, wants me to come into this room and go into a room. I take this test and uh, I start uh, taking the test. It took forever to take this thing. I, I uh, did a lot of reflecting. They, they, the, the gentleman came in the room, uh, Dr. Solomon came in this room after I was done with the test, and we talked about, uh, we literally talked a lot about Jesus and what, what I thought about with my walk and my faith. And, and I've been going to church pretty much my whole life. My, uh, my whole life revolved around it. And the reason I know this is, I'll, I'll, I'll go back just to tell you a little tidbit about myself. When I was, I would say I was somewhere between the age of one and five, my mom wanted me to, uh, was always wanting me to go to church. I went to church. So one day she had bought a refrigerator and the refrigerator came in a ginormous box. Well, I decided that I was going to cut a hole in this box and I come out of it and I said, hey mom, if you put a quarter in, I want to tell you about Jesus Christ. And she, she kind of got a little dis distraught, kind of crying and I was like, what's wrong mom? She goes, well, that was just so sweet of you to say. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, I, I love Jesus and I hope that one day I can tell people about him. And right after that is something that I truly regret because I remember that day because it was shortly after that. I had a lot going on. I came from a very bad uh, situation, very abusive type uh, home, home life. And when I, when I was just resonating within Jesus Christ, I said to myself, I was almost crying out to the devil saying, is this all you got? Thinking that I was somebody big. And I regret that because for years after that, I, I struggled. I struggled my faith. I, just, I struggled my life. I had another, uh, another time in my life that I remember that, that kind of changed me where uh, this gentleman came up to me. I was working on the flight line at, a, an air, at an air base in North Carolina when I was uh, on active duty Air Force. And this gentleman was sitting in this forklift looking up into the sky and it looked kind of odd. And I, and I saw him and I'm like, hey, uh, hey I, he goes, hey, Jason, uh, I, I was just sitting here in awe of God and I was just, in amazement, and he said, "Behold, before you is is uh, one of my children." And I was thinking, "Who's this guy talking about?" 
And I had never really spoken to this guy. And he was like, well, he's talking about you. I'm like, me? I was like, well, hey, why don't you get back on the phone and tell God to give me a call because I've been telling him for like two years, you know, hey, can you, or actually my whole life, you know, hey, can you, you know, talk to me in that same audible voice? He's like, well, he's wanting me to tell you something. I know you're about to, and this guy, I never talked to him before. He told me I was about to get married and that what I need to do is get myself involved in the church and get myself going. And the reason I bring that up is to tell you I had a regret, a regret of, of something that I didn't do. I didn't move on it. God told me to get into church, get myself prepared, lay down a foundation for me and my wife, and I didn't do it. And I regret that day. And I bring it up to say that I remember these things because I've been praying my whole life about something that God's always been telling me that there's something he's wanting to do in and for my life, and I've, I've never believed it. So I go, I go to Pigeon Forge to meet with Dan and Dr. Solomon. And we're sitting there, and, and, and he asked me this question, and I thought I had the answer. And he said, you know, when, do you, when you die, where do you go? And I was like, that's easy. I got this one. Heaven. Well, as soon as I said heaven, he goes, you're half right. I'm like, man, this dude's crazy. I was like, you go to heaven? He's like, well, like I said, we're half right. We'll get back to that. But what I want to do is I want to hone in on that. Because he was exactly right. Because when we die, we die. We die and go into eternity. When we die and we become a child of God, when we become a part of Christ, when we say we're saved, when we do that exchange life, when we remove the sin, when we remove the self, when we replace it with Christ, what it does to us is this. We then become a part of Christ, which we die. We died just like we died to Christ back when he died on the cross. And then what does it do to us? It puts us, we die into eternity. Eternity, and this is something that I had no understanding of. I had no concept of this. Eternity has no beginning. It has no end. And this whole time I'm thinking, I'm bound to all these chains where I've done all this in the past, God. I've done <laughs> I'm hurting, God. I'm hurting. And then I think about what all I've done. And even to this day, what I am doing. And I'm like, God, I am so evil. I am so bad. I am a sinner. And then I... And then through this process that I, that, I'm, that I met with these gentlemen, and, and we learned about this, I said the prayer with Dr. Solomon. As soon as we said the prayer, and it was, and I, and I was just, I was resonating with what he was saying. I felt so connected with God. I felt, I felt connected. I felt so clean when that happened. And when we talked about this exchange life, because I'll tell you, I was exchanged. I, I closed my eyes and it was like these lights that I see here. The room went completely white. And I, and I got up. We walked out of the room and they walked back in. I almost wanted to beat the door down to get back in there because I felt like a bird that was knocked out of its nest. And I'm like, now I got to fly. So I, I'm driving home and I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm 36 years old and I know that I'm like, man, I've, I have been wrong for 36 years of understanding what's going on with this whole God thing. So as I'm driving home, I feel clean, I feel good, and then I start interacting with other people. I, went, I stopped off, I felt so changed, so I wanted to go get some new clothes. I went by the outlet mall, I wanted to get some light colors. I'm always wearing like darker type colors. I felt, I felt different, I felt changed, I felt exchanged. So when I went in and I looked around and I started interacting with other people, then I started feeling dirty. Because I could feel 
that sin coming along. And, 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 and I tell you that to say this, is that this is not Hollywood. It's not just going to be like, hey, I went down front, I got my certificate, I'm going to heaven now. No. Every day is a challenge. Every day I struggle. This been a year ago. It was in, what's weird, it was in this month of September that this happened to me. I can't tell you the exact day because I'll tell you, going in back to that timeline of eternity, matters is is who I turn to I turn to Jesus Christ Jesus Christ placed himself on top of me on top of you and said son you're home you're at home with me and why because he did it for us he did it for you I mean everything you did everything you're gonna do and that's what I'm struggling with today that's my struggle why? Because I keep thinking, well, I just did this, man. I'm sitting here telling, you know, Dan, and I'm telling all these guys in my group, you know, I do this and that. I'm just as bad as anybody else. But what makes me different, what makes you and I different, is that once we, once we step back and take a look, that exchange is, is once Christ comes over the top of us, we're clean, just like these white lights. So clean. So if I were to tell you anything today about exchange life is, is this. Remove yourself. Add Christ. Because once those two things come together, it's white as snow and that's all God's going to see. And that's all that matters. I love you and I, I just want to say this. Praise God. Because I'm going to tell you, I know that there was a game yesterday and that thing, or whenever this, this is played, there was probably a game and there's probably something that happened. But I want to tell you, there's something more exciting than a touchdown. The touchdown that happened years ago, and that's why I love UT so much, because they got that T. The T is in the shape of a cross. Because I want to tell you, the number one volunteer that's ever walked the face of this earth, his name is Jesus Christ, and he came and he went down and he dropped that, he dropped that dagger just like that guy does at the UT ball games where he goes down on the horse and he throws it down and does what he does, whether it be like a Florida State game or whatever you do. You see the crowds going wild. That is nothing compared to what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. So I'll leave it at that. Love you. Praise God. <laughs> Dude, you preach. I love that guy, and I love his story. Uh, it's Jason. He's um, uh, one of the guys here at Calvary, and he's in our men's military community group, and uh, just an awesome group of guys, and, and I, God has done something powerful in his life, and I'll never forget um, meeting with him a couple of weeks after uh, that story, that event. We met at Chick-fil-A for breakfast. We met a couple more times, you know, and, and he... Uh, he said that he just kind of got choked up one day, and he said, well, my wife says something's going on because I bought a bright-colored shirt. And he said, I've never... He said, she said, where did you get that shirt? And he said, well, I bought it. And you bought it? Oh, you're different. You're changed. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, the evidences of the spirit-controlled life is that you buy new clothes, um, that, that a military guy becomes fashionable. Uh, it's much deeper than that, and, and I want you to know that, and uh, this is something that God's been doing in my life over the last few years, and really, um, I, I, I think I embrace this. I've got a story kind of like 
uh, Jason's. Uh, I look back in that afternoon that where I went to meet uh, Dr. Solomon, and and um, and and he walked me through some of these principles. And today's message is kind of the core, at the heart of what this you know the whole series we've been titled Life Change is really kind of about today. And um, I, I told Kathy, I said, I feel like I've never preached before in my life, like the day's the first time I've ever said anything. And so it's, it's, um, it'd be easy for me to, to kind of slip into to, to myself. But uh, I just know that the change that I've seen in this guy and some of you uh, and the things I will share today, if you've been to see me in counseling in the last few years or maybe been in cafe or other places where I've shared bits and pieces and today try to pull... Uh, like say the, uh, uh, the the big part of this uh, together, and you think oh, that's a little familiar. I've kind of I've kind of heard some of that, but it's just been revolutionary in, in, in my life, and and hopefully in in your life as well. There is, I think, within us this sense of failure sometimes, uh, or the rejection syndrome that we talked about last week, and some of you have. Uh, just very quietly affirmed that this week and and in in your life or to 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 me I think we often feel uh, spiritually and in just managing our life that it can go from anything to just you know occasional slight mild uh, depression you know maybe frequently or occasionally and that can it can run all the way over to extreme thoughts of suicide, and I know some of you in the room have struggled uh, even at that level uh, with your emotions and where you are uh, just with yourself and with the world around you and with the Lord. And because of this, sometimes even the relationships that we're in can spin out of control, and the the people that you love the most, uh, that, that can get really stressed and maybe even come to a breaking point, and some of you have already been through that. I look back on some relationships and realize, wow, that was broken, um, and you begin to see some specific causes or, you know, things that, that happened there. So if today, if you stepped into this room and maybe you think, well, yeah, I just get kind of mildly depressed sometimes or, you know, uh, get in these, these things, or maybe you're at a point of sheer desperation, And I can remember a time when I stepped in a room and thought, what am I doing here? I don't think this is going to have the answers for me, but I'm here, and I'm just going to go with it. And basically my thought was, because I came to please some friends who just kept inviting me, and, you know, it was more to appease them, and I thought they promised a lunch, that they'd take me out to lunch after, and and I thought, okay, uh, you know, and that's how how deep, that's how shallow I was. I thought, I'll do it for the lunch. And... um, you know, and, and didn't realize that there were answers there. Maybe you're at that place, and I just want you to know that this message today, it's for you, and it's at the core of what this Life Change series is all about. God loved you enough um, to send His Son, the Lord Jesus, to die on the cross for your sins, and then to raise Him again to provide through him, everything that is necessary uh, for for you to be saved, to have a genuine, victorious, and abundant life. 
Some of us have lived as believers for a while, and we've sort of given up on the idea of abundant life. We think, well, I think that's just poetic. I think it's just talk, uh, but it didn't really mean that. Well, it, it, really, it really did. And so today, you either trust that his death was adequate for the complete forgiveness of your sins and to provide a, a, a new life, or you don't. Maybe you haven't crossed that place. You know, you're not at that place yet. You think, oh, I'm just, I don't see it yet. Uh, and it may be that you have trusted Christ and that you've, you've done that and you know that you know, you've experienced salvation. But today, if you were really honest with yourself or maybe with someone, you would say, you know, I'm a stressed, defeated believer. And I have not found uh, the way to genuine victory in my Christian experience. Uh, but we hide behind uh, religious language and the habits that we've established. We've learned how to be a Christian, and so we, we do all the things and we mimic or, you know, we, we know this is the way I'm supposed to be. These are the expectations, and so we, we pretty quickly learn how to, to follow along and do that because, oh my goodness, we would never want our other Christian friends to think that we are struggling with some basic issues that maybe we should have already nailed down. So here's what we do. We pretend and we perform. We pretend and we perform. And some people will spend their entire lives pretending and performing. For us to understand what happens, I think it's important and, and, and what can happen for, for us to grasp how it is that God designed us and how that affects our life and our experience of him and, and really the relationships around us. So I want to walk through that. Human beings, and that's most, if not all of us in here, are, are, we're, we're, we're created in three parts. Now the old Greeks and others thought there's just two parts. And at one time I thought, well, there's an invisible part and there's a visible part. Uh, and you can call that a soul and you can call it a body and we kind of get that. Uh, but Scripture mentioned that we're created in three parts, that there is a spirit, a soul, and a body. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, he will surely do it. At another place in Hebrews, it says, you know, the word of God is so powerful that it can divide and distinguish between your body, your soul, and your spirit. Now, other places in Scripture, but for some of you, you think, yeah, I get that. For others, it's a brand new idea. I think, oh, I'm trichotomous. There's a triunity I'm kind of a, almost a reflection of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit who presents himself to us as one, but in three distinct um, entities. So through the body, the senses, uh, we relate to our surroundings, to the things around us. With my voice, I'm projecting my thoughts, and with your ears, hopefully, uh, you're hearing those, and you're sitting. You see, it's a very physical thing, and, and, and our culture is just obsessed with everything about the body, and that's where all the attention and a lot of the, uh, the focus is, and every commercial that you see, uh, every ball game you watch, you, you check it out sometimes. Every commercial is going to be about some new drug or medicine or this or that, and, you know, and it's all about 
about, about that. So we're, we're kind of inundated with that. And there's also the soul. And I will define that as your personality, uh, the functions of the mind, will, and the emotions. Now, the brain is a funny thing because I think it crosses that line, right? I mean, it's a physical part of me, but it also has this, this soulishness of me. So it kind of rides that line between uh, those two. But it's, it's my emotions. It's that place of me that's me. That's where I relate to other people and we, how we you know, relate to one another. Uh, whether you're a Christian or not, you may think, well, I just don't like her or I'm in love with him, and that's an activity of, of the soul. Now, the Spirit enables us to exceed all those limitations and situations as we're reborn and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We're born into the world as descendants of Adam. And we're partakers of his nature. And that means our spirits are dead to God and alive to Satan. Since our lives came from that first old father Adam and go back in this unbroken chain all the way to him, we actually are in him when he sinned. I want you to grasp that. And this being the case, it, we're only doing when we sin. You know, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Because that's just a natural activity of, of who we are. My mama, probably, I'm sure your mama, never taught you how to sin. Right? Daddy never sat down and said, Son, you're getting old enough now. It's time to teach you how to sin. What's that, Father? Well, it's when you do, you know. No, nobody ever had to teach me. I was pretty good at it. I was a natural. I mean, it just came. Nobody ever said, now, when, when we divide up the pie, pick the big piece. Duh, I'm going to do that. Or to think this or do that. or for, You know, the, all of that just kind of flows. Have you ever thought about that? That ever since you were a baby, nobody ever had to teach you how to sin. Because that was born in us. We had that uh, already there. So every life that remains in Adam... Scripture tells us again and again and again um, that ends up where it wants to be, which is a separation from God. We, we push against, we don't want him. And God says, fine, you know what? I'm going to give you just what you want. I didn't create this for you, but that's what I'll provide for you. And we call it a place, uh, we call it hell. And that's where that'll end. And even though we may live very good lives, moralism is not the same as relationship. Okay, and that's a mistake a lot of us have made. Well, if I'm just really good, maybe I can measure up, and if I just try harder, uh, maybe that'll be good enough. Good enough is never good enough. So we, you know, we just push forward like that uh, until we get to a place where we realize, uh, even though I'm very good and this is just not good enough, and I don't know what to do next because, uh, you know, so we may live those. We're still separated from God unless and until we're born into his family by a spiritual rebirth, by a new beginning. The very word itself, salvation, carries with it this idea that we need a spiritual birth, that we have to leave behind this old life of Adam and be born into the new life of Christ, which 
You remember the conversation, if you've read this before, in John 3, 3, Jesus was, in a, uh, was talking to a very intelligent man named Nicodemus. And he said, oh, Nicodemus, it's not through religion. And it's not through keeping all the rules and, and all of that that you've tried your whole life. And here you've come to this point when I think he was about Jason's age. You know, he was at this point and he said, I've studied this since I was a baby. I know it backwards and forwards. But there's something missing. There's something that you've got that I don't have. What is it? And Jesus said, oh, Nick, you've got to be born again. So what are you talking about? You mean become like a little baby? I mean, he just, you can see him looking at Jesus going, that's weird. He goes, oh, no, 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 not physically, spiritually. You need to be born because your spirit is inactive. It's dormant. It's dead. So we need for our spirits to be activated and to be alive again. And if we're to have victory over temptation and experience the genuine peace of God in our lives there also, there has to be that assurance that flows out of salvation. Now, our enemy knows that, and he knows at the moment of your conversion, and several of you, I think probably a lot of us in this room, we think, yeah, I can go back to a place when I was 8 years old or 12 or 20 years old, and that's when I prayed to receive Christ in my life, and he came in, and I know that. I've got that nailed down. But, you know, Dan, I just never really felt assurance I never really felt safe. I, I, don't, I don't feel that, that peace, that I, I sense that maybe I'm supposed to have because I'm saved. I'm in Christ. Well, assurance is based on the absolutes. And I know our culture is very quickly abandoning that there are anything, you know, anything's absolute. Uh, but the promises of God expressed in his word. So, Here's, this has been my experience, and I'm going to talk more about this next week, kind of how this plays out in our individual lives, because we've all got stories, right? And we're all in the midst of those stories. They're not done yet. But a lot of people I've met know in their anterior cingulate cortex that they have personally trusted Jesus, but in a vulnerable, honest moment, you would admit, you know, I have a lack of real assurance because I never really feel saved. I don't feel like I deserve this. I don't feel like I'm in that place. We've got so many emotional conflicts, which I think, and I told you last week, I believe stems from rejection and from, you know, this lack of acceptance that we feel and this uncertainty, uncertainty about ourselves and, you know, who we are and how we measure up. I think a lot of that just comes along as we grow uh, and, our, and our emotions and our feelings sometimes contradict what is true about you, the real facts. You think, well, I know, and, and, I, and I know this says I'm a Christian, but, you know, there are just some days I don't feel like a Christian. I don't feel like I'm in connection or relationship with God. And, you know, and, and so we tend to trust sometimes our feelings and how that is until Jesus becomes central in our lives and is able to begin to heal those, you know, to wash away those doubts and begin to heal damaged emotions. And some of your emotions have been damaged since you were a little girl or you were a young man and this was said to you repeatedly or you were abused or you just felt rejected. And, you know, we go through those, those experiences and it's just kind of reinforced. 
So we think, well, I'm just not that person, or I, I don't, my self-esteem and what the Bible says doesn't match up. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to try harder. I'm going to be a better Christian. Uh, somebody said, you know, well, I said a bad word yesterday, and then I did this, and I did that, but tomorrow I'm going to try harder. And I said, well, I hope, you know, it depends on the circumstances and what's happening around you, whether that'll be triggered again, and then you'll feel defeated. So isn't it true that most of us live our lives thinking, I'm not so good. Well, I did pretty good. I'm not so good. And it's based on the circumstances and what's going on around us. And then we get to a place where we feel so bad. And I'll tell you, the denomination that I'm a part of, and I love, I love it, but uh, you know, we will focus on some of the things we do on our side of things and forget about the grace of God. So we get to a place where I just feel really defeated, and so you know what we do? We rededicate. Now, I've done that, so I'm not mocking you, but I kind of am. Um, but that, that kind of cleans us up. It's like hitting a reset button. Well, I think, you know, I'm just going to rededicate. And I can't tell you as a pastor how many times, and I've done this, and I've had so many people say, I'm just going to rededicate. It's like I'm starting all over. I'm going to start all over, and I'm going to depend on, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up and I'm going to do better because I'm rededicated. Or some of us will get to the place where we feel like, well, you know what, all this is happening in my life, and it must be because I was never saved to begin with. So I'm going to get saved again. And so we go through that salvation experience. I have a friend in Memphis. I love this guy. He's in Christian ministry, and oh, he's just he's such an awesome guy. He has been saved and baptized four times throughout his life. Well, I was real little and didn't understand it. Well, I wasn't sincere. Well, after that, I did this. So I must have not been, re- I wouldn't have done that if I was really saved. So he, and, and finally, the last time, it took. <laughs> and he said, you know what? I just realized it's not about getting baptized again and feeling like, okay, now I'm ready. Now I'm ready. Now, if you're not a Christian, you're pretending to be, that does not give you an out. Okay? I did not just give you a get out of hell card free. Um, but I can tell you this, if you have doubted and doubted and doubted your salvation or maybe the experiences and you think I'm going to rededicate, uh, I want you to keep listening today because it may be uh, that you're in a situation where God's going to try to, you know, to show us something new and, and different. Now, the believer has to know. We, we've got to nail down that when we enter into a relationship with him, we enter into a secure, eternal, spiritual relationship. It's with God through Christ and that we can rely upon that and that there is security in it. There's safety and there's freedom. And if the religion that you have bought into, and I don't care what it's called, okay? Take all the labels off. If you are this or that or this, and I'm not even going to say them, so I might miss yours, but whatever pops up in your head, if it's not connected and it doesn't bring you more freedom and security and grace, and, and, if you, and if it's not based out of that, and that's not flowing, if it's just a sense of duty and oppression, and this, you feel that heaviness, mm, that's not Jesus. That's something else going on, okay? Because that's what he wants to bring into your life. Um, and and he, he does that. Now, a lot of believers, uh, we've accepted Christ, but very few understand and experience the fact that we are accepted by him. And I'll tell you, when I was a little boy, a preacher knelt in front of me and a guy on my baseball team and invited me to this church, and this guy, uh, W.W. Shanklin, just a tall uh, man, and, 
And I remember him kneeling in front of me saying, do you want to ask Jesus to come into your life? Will you accept Christ as your Savior? And I said, yes. And I did that genuine. It was real. I meant it. I cried my eyes out and all of that. But you know what? The whole language pulled with it this idea, I'm accepting Jesus. And nobody ever told me, at least not then, that what was really happening is that I was being accepted. That I was accepted and not rejected. And that God liked me and that he loved me. And I didn't have to do anything to earn that anymore. I wish I had known at that point in that place. A lot of us have an experience like that. Uh, Dr. Solomon likes to say every believer is accepted but many have never accepted their acceptance. And I think that's true for some of us here. Many Christians never totally feel accepted because they've never surrendered their lives to Jesus. Not completely. Not To come to a place of submission, of abandonment of ourselves, where we give God permission, Lord, you can do anything you wish in us, to us, and through us, in every area of my life and my personality. You see, if he is going to take control, we have to lose control. Otherwise, it's a very insecure and a very dangerous thing. Because who's driving? You know, I have a friend, and we were driving down I-55 from Memphis down into Mississippi one day, and we decided to switch drivers. We were 18 years old, and, you know, he took the wheel, and then I slid, and then he slid. Now, some of you are already going... Oh, my goodness, how fast were you going? Well, back then, the speed limit was 75. I'm sure we were doing every bit of it, right? Well, 80, because in America, at the speed limit 75. Well, I was just doing 80. <laughs> That's the speed limit. And so we're flying down this road, and we're switching drivers. And you see, that makes you, cr- that makes you just go, no, don't. That's this dangerous feeling kind of a situation. And we get that physically because we know how vulnerable and we know how quickly something can happen because it just needs to be one driver needs to be one driver and we get that in the physical world don't you see it's the same thing in the spiritual world you can't keep driving your life and say well jesus is going to drive it sometimes and we're just going to switch drivers on the fly and i'm going to scoot over and let him drive until it looks like everything's okay and then i'm going to get back into the wheel but you see that's what's happening spiritually for a lot of people we've never really surrendered so we've got to give him control And that's a process that makes us a little anxious. It makes us a little fearful because we have no idea what's he going to do next, right? God, if I give you my life, and one night I'm sitting on my bed, and I'm praying, and I can just sense the the, the Holy Spirit's presence, and I'll never forget, just lifting up my hands, I said, Lord, I just want to give you my life. And it's almost as if the Lord said, stop praying that. What's this I want to give, I want to give? You see, there's a little hedging. There's a little holding back. And I understood, and I just, I finally, I just said, Lord. What I said was, I want to be your man. That's what I I just kept saying. I want to be your man. I just want to be your man. And he said, stop praying that. And so finally, I just came to this place. And I said, Lord, I am your man. I'm yours completely what do you want to do no holding back no reserve 
No, let me hear the deal first. No, well, what are you going to do? And then I'll tell you how far I'm going to buy into this. 80%, 100%, 70%. And most of us live our lives in that 70%, that 80%. This is what I'm teaching you today is the other 10% of the gospel that maybe nobody ever showed you. It is when that we put ourselves at the center of our life, even though Christ is in us. And you can see I put an S there, and that kind of represents that, and then Christ comes in, and our spirit is awakened, and we're saved, and he says, I bring with me assurance and security and acceptance, and you surrender, and I've already surrendered my whole life to you, and these beautiful things happen. And it counters, you see, what's been happening in our soul. Remember the uh, iceberg illustration last week that we're able to control? You know, uh, our personality and what we allow people to see above the surface, our attitudes and our actions, our personality and our behaviors, but underneath there's this shame and guilt and hurt and pains and wounded memories that never seem to heal and all of that that's working beneath the surface. And that's what happens in our soul. There's this inferiority. There's these insecurities and inadequacy and guilt. And some of that guilt is genuine because you've sinned, and that's real guilt. And some of it's false guilt that the enemy will continue to whisper to you again and again and again. You see, once that's under the blood of Jesus. And I get nervous preaching. And I went through a real hard time with that. But in the beginning... Every time, every time I would get up to preach, the enemy would whisper. I mean, it sounded almost like an audible voice. Who in the world do you think you are? You're going to get up and preach? I know what you've done. Let me list what you've done. And all these sins would come back to my consciousness because he accuses and he condemns. And he would just say these things. And by the time, I mean, the music was done, it was ready for me to preach, I just felt so beat up and I felt so condemned and embarrassed. And I would get up and I feel like, well, everybody in the room knows what a huge liar and a hypocrite I am because of all those things I've done. And the Holy Spirit began to teach me, oh, all those things are under the blood of Jesus. You're justified. Those things are gone. Those things have been healed. But self is at the center of the will, representing uh, the, the self-controlled life. Or biblical language, you may have heard it called flesh. Now, I'm just trying to put it in a 21st century term, but it's the same thing. The flesh is in control of the lives of most believers, I think, uh, for their entire Christian experience. It looks different with different people. Some Folks, it's expressed in real negative behaviors, and, you know, the Scripture talks about that. For some, it's very, it can be very positive because we're just trying, but it's flesh. It's just self. And the pursuit of money and success and material things and fame and sex and power and just a countless other, you know, ideas that could just drive and motivate a person where they have become at the center of their life and never even really know that or understand that. And often it will be expressed, and this is what I see because in the bubble I live in, I'm a pastor, so I'm around Christians a lot, I see believers attempting to live the Christian life in their own strength. And that just makes you so weary. And some of you are just so tired today, and you think, I'm trying to be a good Christian, but oh my goodness, it is wearing me out. And it just sounds contradictory to say, thought the Lord wanted to use this to set me free, but I feel more under it than I ever have. 
Uh, believe me, I understand. So this, the flesh, the self, is a very serious problem for Christians. For when we replace the centrality of Christ with anything, with anything, especially ourselves, then whatever we put on that throne of our lives becomes like an idol. And most of us are not even aware of that because it's what we've been taught our whole lives. I'm just going to live for Jesus, just live for God, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be miserable. And some of you think, well, that's just part of the deal because I, I want to go to heaven, and that's kind of, I've got to pay, and I've got to work. And, and, and uh, just, I'm trying to show you something different today. God has dealt decisively with your flesh. And he does, usually by revealing self-centered life's ability to cope until a believer gets to a place uh, where the situation, it just becomes unbearable. Where your life just becomes so hard or you hit a problem, you go through something, and all of a sudden, you know, you turn to the Lord and you realize this doesn't feel adequate, this doesn't work, something's not right about this. And most of the people that I've counseled who have entered into this exchange life are at a crisis in their life, either personally, quietly, emotionally, or something external is happening, and they're like, I need answers. And see, many of us today will walk back out, and we'll, we'll be unchanged, to tell you the truth, because we need something like that to kind of, you know, kickstart us into a new life. You don't need that. You don't need uh, to go all the way, you know, to that place before you can understand. Um, but that just seems the way that it happens oftentimes. So long as self remains in control, these conflicts in your soul, in your personality, are going to continue. And the funny thing is, it often gets worse as you get older than better. You see, and sometimes what we think of as a mature Christian is just somebody who's gotten better and better at being religious. You know who the most excited, fired up, freed up people in Christ who lead more people to the Lord than anybody else? Brand new Christians. Is that not true? You know, the moment you, oh my goodness, and you're calling your friends, and you're saying, you've got to come to church with me. I found Jesus, and this is real. And it's, oh, you know, and what happens? Now, when I see somebody that's been walking with the Lord 10, 20, 30 years, and they're still, and I realize, okay, maybe they've got the real thing. But shouldn't it work the opposite? Shouldn't somebody who's been walking with Jesus for 20 years be, oh my goodness, you know, I am just so full of the Lord and just so excited. But it works the other way. And this is why, because self inches its way into that place and stays in control. And we don't even know it because we're being good. Occasionally, you know, a psychologically well-adjusted self-life just learns how to manage, learns how to cope with circumstances, and so we just do that for an entire lifetime, never knowing. And even though it feels far from fulfilling and satisfying, we just live with it because we think, well, that's the way it's supposed to be. So we end up with a lot of frustration in a self-controlled life because it's not how God designed it to be. And this comes out, and it's felt in all sorts of unhealthy thoughts and behaviors. Remember the iceberg. 
And this inner conflict just drags on and on and on without any remedy. And it can even result in physical problems. You know, some of you can't sleep at night. I know, I don't sleep well at night. But when I began to trust Christ and say, God, I want to move myself off the throne and I want Jesus in the middle of my life, physical changes began to take place. Now, you may have, and you need to always talk to your doctor. Don't say, well, the the preacher said I don't need this. No, but I can tell you this. We are seeing a lot of changes in people. We have a young man. uh, He's he's a youth minister in Chattanooga. There's a physical change. I've cut my sleep medication in half for the last three years. I have a genuine physical issue that that makes it difficult for me to to fall and to stay asleep. But you know what? I didn't need as much because this other part of it, and I've had doctors confirm this again and again and again, and I always ask them, how many of your patients do you think have a genuine physical uh, illness, a presenting problem that's based in, in something that's going on physically, and how much of that is not? The lowest number I've heard for personally interviewing doctors is 50%. 50% of my patients wouldn't have diabetes and this blood pressure and this and this. And I'm not saying all your problems are this, but I'm saying a lot of them are because it just affects us, right? And I told you, I get so nervous emotionally the first time that I would preach, and I still get nervous, I would shake I went in, I'll never forget, going into Pocahontas Baptist Church, no kidding, in West Tennessee, and going to this, <laughs> I asked the guy, I said, I need to use your restroom. My stomach was, I was just going crazy. And I said, where's your restroom? He goes, it's right out there. And opened the back door to the church, which opened to the outside, and there was an outhouse. I promise this is true. And I walked out there and just threw up again and again and again. I was just so nervous. And there, there probably was 30 or 40 people there. And it's the same morning that I, I got all my stuff, you know, and I opened And I, as I start to preach, I see this old man at the back of the church. He goes over, and there's a plug-in, and he plugs it. And I follow the cord up with my eyes to this huge fan built into the back wall of the church. And it was like being in one of those wind tunnels, you know, where you design cars. It started off really slow. The fan goes, vroom, 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 vroom. and all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and I'm preaching like Billy Sunday. I'm like, and the Bible says, and my hair's blowing back, and my pages are fluttering. I thought, oh, my goodness, but it feels kind of good, you know. But I was so sick. I went through a period where I began to have, and I've never shared this publicly, three people know this, and two of them are in this room. I began to be very anxious when I would get up to speak, more so than normal. A feeling of panic would come over me. I noticed that I was speaking at Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church one morning, and and then one evening in cafe, I'm sitting up there and I'm ready. And, and all of a sudden, I just feel overwhelmed by this sense of, I've got to get out of here. I've got to get off this platform. I can't, I can't do this. And just this, I don't know how to describe it except for panic. I've got to get out of this room. I've got to get away from this situation. 
in one circumstance, I actually left the room, left the building, went out in the parking lot and just leaned up against my car and just pulled myself together, managed it myself, and then went back into the room and got through it. You see, there are physical symptoms sometimes that are related to you being in the flesh. And God will begin to deliver and begin to heal you in all kinds of psychological and mental and and, and just beautiful ways that God wants to flow uh, into our life. Now, these symptoms begin to disappear sometimes when one sees how God can deal with the root problem when we dethrone ourselves. So I want you to understand this, and I'm going to do this real quickly because our time is gone, and I'll talk some more about this next week. A line diagram um, can show how this uh, out of death comes life um, principle. And the horizontal line represents eternal life, and that's the life of Christ. It has no beginning, and it has no end. Since Christ is God, he lives always, and he always will live. He is the same uh, yesterday, Hebrews tells us, today and forever. And it's portrayed in, in the, on the left of the, the line that Christ became flesh. John 1.14 says, and lived in a human body on earth. He became one of us, and here he was crucified and buried, and God raised him from the dead on the third day, and he continues to live today, Hebrews 7. And note that eternal life is not only a present and future reality, it involves past eternity. Now, this didn't hit me for two weeks after I began to understand the exchanged life in Christ, that I not only had a new future and that I was new right now, but I had a new past. I had a new past. Oh my goodness, that, that was just this amazing thing. Until we're born again, we're not in the life of Christ. We're spiritually dead in the life of Adam. It's just like if your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather passed away before he had children, you would never be here, right? I mean, we learned that from the movie Back to the Future. We've known that since the 80s. Uh, we, we, we get that. It's a scientific concept. You know, the same thing is true spiritually. That we, you know, our lives began in Adam. And when he sinned, we sinned. When, when he died spiritually, we died. And God said, in the day that you sin, you will surely die. And, and Adam and Eve sinned, and they died spiritually. The Lord Jesus came to give us back our life by dying for our sins and by giving us his resurrection life. And if you're a Christian, you probably already know that much. You think, well, I kind of get that. What you may not know is, is this, is that for the believer, physical death is just a, a gateway from life in the world and presence of sin to, to the presence of God in heaven. And another type of death that happens in us is a gateway from a sinful life of Adam to an eternal life in Christ. See, I don't think anybody ever really told me, oh, by the way, you need to die to yourself. You need to be crucified. I just heard about Jesus being crucified. Christ comes into our lives when we believe in him and are born again, but that's, not, that's 90%. The other 10% is that we're also made, Romans 6 tells us, participants in his death. 
We're not only baptized into Jesus, we're baptized into his death. So you can't live two separate lives at the same time, the life of Adam and the life of Christ. You get a new identity. When we receive Jesus by faith, it means that his death on the cross counts as payment for our sins. We got that. But it also means much, much, much more. But it also means that we enter into a new life one that extends forever into the future, and it extends forever into the past. Wouldn't you like a new future? Wouldn't you love a new past? To put it another way, we exchange our history that was in Adam for a new history that's now in Jesus. Because we participate in his life, we participate in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. I know our time's gone, but I just got to read you these two scriptures. I just got to read this to you. Listen to this. This is in Galatians 2.20. just sums it up beautifully. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in myself, in my flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6. I love this chapter. We know that our old self, verse 6, was crucified with him, past tense, aorist tense. At one point in time, we were crucified with Christ. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, and we believe we will also live with him, we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. He only has one life, and this is the life we received in our new birth. You're not a hybrid anymore. Until we grasp that we were crucified with Christ, we will continue to try to live for God instead of allowing Jesus to live in us a completely and totally already accepted life. And everything from our history in Adam will continue to pester us and crush us and defeat us all throughout our lives. But when by faith we take our rightful place with Christ on the cross in union with him in his death and resurrection, then we walk, as Romans 6 says, you know, in a newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Old things are passed away. They're gone. Behold, all things are become new. You're new. You have a new identity. You're different now. You're not the same thing. Now, I know that... At one point in your life, you may have prayed a prayer of salvation that initiated your beginning with Jesus. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that's fine. But I need you to know, it's not a prayer that saves us, right? I was talking to a man once, and he just didn't appear to be a Christian at all by anything about him. And, and I, I was trying to share Christ, and, and it's, he kind of realized what I was doing. And he said, oh, you're trying, you, think, you think I'm not saved? And I go, well, yeah, I, I'm not your judge, but I doesn't, you don't appear to be. He goes, oh, I'm a Christian. I said, seriously, tell me about that. He goes, oh, I prayed that prayer. I said, what prayer? He goes, that prayer. You pray that prayer and then you're a Christian. 
I mean, isn't, doesn't that just sound medieval? Doesn't that just sound superstitious? I prayed this magic prayer, and I said the words, hocus pocus, you know, when you come into my life, and I'm a Christian. I said, no, 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 no. That's not the way this works. So what I'm going to do now, some of you have already, you know, and it was genuine because it was real to you, right? You meant the words. And it was just a verbal expression of what God was doing with you. It could be that some of you today, you know you're saved. You know you're in Christ. But you need to identify with Him. And so I'm going to put up a prayer for you in just a moment here. Uh, I'm going to call it an identification prayer. And whether you've prayed a salvation prayer today or in the past, praying an identification prayer may help you to experience Christ's life and His victory and His peace. And if you're ready to genuinely die to yourself and to live in Christ, I'm just going to pray out loud this suggested prayer, and I'm going to put the words where you'll be able to see them. Now, there's nothing magic about reciting prayers. It's what you mean in your heart as you say those words. But I believe God wants to set some people free today, right now. This is the missing part. This is the 10% they never told you. Would you stand, please? And We call it a selfless prayer. or It's not important how we identify it, but if this is the cry of your heart, and this is your intent today, and you're ready to not say, I want to be, but I am crucified with Christ. And you're ready to die to yourself and to allow him to live in you, to be set free, to know the liberty and the joy of life in Christ. I'm going to invite you to pray this with me, right where you are, right where you are. And when I've done that, we're going to sing together just a song of worship and of praise, and you'll be released the next week. I just want to share with you how that is implemented, how that works out in our life, what happens when we die and he lives in us. Let's pray. Father, today I recognize that I cannot live the Christian life in my own strength or out of my own resources. I've been trying to live out of myself. I realize I'm failing. I now give up on all my self-sufficiency and I commit my life unconditionally into your hands. I choose this moment today to die to myself and to allow Christ to live his life in and through me. I give up all my old rights and expectations. And I give you complete permission to make me into the person you've designed me to be. I believe your word that I, my old self, has been crucified with Christ. I believe I was buried with Christ and I've been raised to walk with him in a new life. And under your grace, I surrender myself, my past, my future to you. 
And I'm choosing to claim Christ as my life, my power, my new identity. I thank you that Jesus has made me totally acceptable and that all my needs are met in him. And I yield myself to his indwelling spirit. I'm trusting you to do what I can't do, quit what I can't quit, and to be what I can't be. I thank you for renewing my mind and for beginning to heal my damaged emotions as you transform me from sin and self. 